If you would remain standing and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Corinthians 11, we'll begin reading at verse 17 and read this evening through verse 22. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. From the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Two Lord's Day evenings ago, we looked at verses 2 through 16 of 1 Corinthians 11, and we dealt with with head coverings. We saw the, the principle of subjection, how man is subject to Christ, how woman is subject to man, and how Christ is subject to the Father. Paul then applied that principle to the church of Corinth. And he gave four reasons why head coverings should have been worn in Corinth. It was the the created order, the the angels who watch as God's people gather in worship, the arrangement of life and propriety. Then finally, as the principle was accepted in the church. And so again, we continue on. And Paul in this section is dealing with problems in worship. At the church of Corinth. Again we know the church at Corinth had many problems. Paul has already discussed some of those with us. And and with the church in this letter. And tonight he focuses especially. And he begins to deal with the problems they were having concerning the Lord's Supper. Now we know this about the Lord's Supper. That the Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, the night of His arrest. The same night when He partook of the Passover with His disciples. The Passover commemorates deliverance from Egypt. The Lord's Supper commemorates deliverance from sin. In the Passover, a lamb was slain for each family. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that the Lamb of God was slain for the sins of God's people. 
In the Passover, blood was applied to the doorposts and lentils of the house of the houses of the people of Israel. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that the blood is applied to us when we believe in Christ. The Passover was a meal that was to be eaten in memory of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. The Lord's Supper is eaten in memory as we did this morning of our salvation in Christ. The Passover was to be observed once a year by Israel, but now the Lord's Supper is to be observed frequently. Now why do I go through all that? Well, to remind us, as I reminded the communicants class this morning, that the Lord's Supper has taken the place of the Passover. We as the church are now the Israel of God, and we have a new meal given to us, and it is the Lord's Supper. And again, we, we partook of that supper this morning as a congregation. Now within the church of Corinth, there seems to have been a weekly observance. Even today, there are some churches who weekly observe the Lord's Supper. In Corinth, the people would come together for a time uh, of prayer, for a time of teaching and, and fellowship. And during this time, they would eat a meal together. And the central part of this meeting would be the Lord's Supper. But Paul here tonight addresses a problem, and that is the problem of division when they came to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so that's the first thing I want us to see tonight, the problem of divisions. Paul speaks of that in verses 17 through 19. Now in verse 17, Paul says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Now at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 2, he said this, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now the church was still holding to the traditions that Paul and the apostles had passed down. We hold to those same traditions. We hold to the tradition, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But the problem here, especially with the Lord's Supper, was that the church of Corinth, they were doing it the wrong way. Christ had instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for the church. Paul taught the church at Corinth that the Lord's Supper was a part of the worship of of the church and the, the Corinthians had been observing the supper ever since. But something got lost along the way. You know, we have traditions in the church. We are proud to say we are a part of the Reformed Presbyterian tradition. And we are. We have certain things that we've always done and and that we will continue to do. There's nothing wrong with traditions unless we lose the meaning and they become meaningless rote. And this is what was happening at the church of Corinth. They were losing the meaning of the Lord's Supper. They were taking the ritual that God had given to, uh, given to them and 
They were not dealing with the reality and thinking that would be pleasing to God. So what was the result? Well, instead of moving closer to God, they were actually moving farther away. And that's why Paul addresses this here in 1 Corinthians 11. Again, in verse 17, he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, I hope that can never be said of this congregation. When we come together for worship, it is not for the better, but for the worse. worse. Again, when they came together for worship, they did not come closer to God. They drew further away from God and their worship was having the opposite effect that was intended. Now what has the church been designed to accomplish? Let me give you three specific purposes that the church has been designed to accomplish. And the first is this, to worship the Lord. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now notice what the writer of Hebrews says. First of all, we are to hold fast the confession of of our hope. What is that confession? The confession of Christ. The confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's Savior, that He's King, that He's head of the church. We are to hold on to that confession of our hope without wavering because God is faithful to us. And He goes on, He says, we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, where is that happening? It is happening in worship. Now, how do we stir up one another in love and good works and worship? Well, Paul tells us elsewhere by singing. By singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we actually we stir one another up to love and good works. And he goes on, do not neglect coming together for worship. Now, at this time, there were some who would not come. They were... In the habit of no longer meeting together. He says, do not be like them. Do not neglect the worship of God. Do not neglect the assembly of God's people. But as you come together, you encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of what? The day of Christ's return. Understand, we are closer today than we were yesterday. To the return of Christ. And so as we have gathered together on the Lord's Day to worship, then we, we are encouraging one another and we, we have been called as the church to worship the Lord. But the second purpose is this. We, are come, we come together as the church to edify the body. 
Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love. I notice God has given to the church. He gave to the church of the Old Testament. And the prophets. The church of the New Testament. He gave apostles. Today we know that the, the office of apostle and prophet. They are no longer used by God. But the other ones mentioned are the evangelists. We have ordained men, ordained to the office of evangelists, the, the shepherds or the pastors and the teachers. All of these are being used by God. These men are being used by God to do what? To equip you, the church, to, to, to the work of ministry. Paul reminds us the work of ministry is not just for the elders. It's not just for the evangelists. It's not just for the teachers. It is for all the church. And so God has given that to, to us. And we are the, those who teach and preach, equip you so that you will build up the body of Christ. So that we attain uh, the right knowledge, the unity of faith, the knowledge of Christ. That we grow as Christians and we become mature men and women as believers in Christ. You're equipped so that you're no longer tossed to and fro, so that you're no longer carried away by every new doctrine that comes. If it's a new doctrine, it, it, it is a false doctrine. And so we're to speak the truth in love. We are to equip and grow in every way so the body grows and builds in love. And then there's a third purpose, and that is to manifest faith and love and hope. Look down at chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Paul says there to the church at Ephesus, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul tell, told the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Now he says to the church at Ephesus, be imitators of God as his beloved children. And walk in love. 
Walk in love as Christ has loved us, as Christ gave himself up for us. And that is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, we know this, that in the book of Revelation, God spoke to this church at Ephesus and he said this, you have lost your first love. And I'm about to come and take your lampstand. And so between the time that Paul wrote this to the Ephesians to that time when Christ delivered those letters to the seven churches, they had forgotten this admonition by Paul. And so we hear all of that and we go back to the church at Corinth and we can say that the, the Corinthians, they were, they were coming together for worship, but they did not accomplish these three purposes of the church. And so Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Now, Paul says here in the first place, but did you notice he did not say anywhere in the second place? He says there are divisions. Again, the meeting of the church was the meeting of the church in worship. Uh, it was on the Lord's Day that they would come together as we come together to worship our God. And, and this reminds us the church is not a building. We know that. We, we have this building and we thank God for it. But if God takes this building for us, from us, the church remains. It's the people. It's the assembly. It's us coming together. And so when we come together, we come together as the church to worship the God who has redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. And Paul says, you are divided. There are factions among you. Now, Paul has already told us that this was a divided congregation. This isn't the first time. But the worship there in Corinth was marked with dissension and petty jealousy. At a time when the church should have been recognizing its unity in Christ, the people were divided. And Paul says, I know this and I believe it in part. And when we speak of divisions in the church, are all divisions sinful? And the answer is no. And Paul tells us that. Look at what he says in verse 19. For there must be factions among you, or we could say divisions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul recognizes that there are times when division cannot be avoided. When there is sin in the church, and that sin is not being dealt with, then those who are righteous need to separate from those who refuse to repent. This past week was the, our former denomination's General Assembly. And, and there were some good things that happened there. I will admit, there were some good, encouraging things to happen. But one thing that was discouraging is the pastor who calls himself a gay Christian getting up and speaking and doing so in such a way that he is even more effeminate to the, uh, this year than he was two years ago. And I think that was done on purpose. And he has not been dealt with. His presbytery has exonerated him. He is still preaching 
from the pulpit of a, of a church. And so that was one reason why we felt like we needed to separate. And this separation will, resu- will result in division. If there is sin in the church and there is no division over it, then it means that sin is being accepted and condoned within the church. And Paul says there must be factions or divisions so that those who are genuine. What is he saying? Those who are genuine believers in Christ may be recognized. And so this is the first thing he deals with, the problem of divisions. But then second of all, he deals with the perversion of the Lord's Supper in the remainder of our text. Paul proceeds to describe the Corinthian worship service. And the service was different than what we see today, but not too much different. There was a little difference than what we do here. The church would come together. They would sing praises. They would, well, they would pray. They would hear exhortations. They would hear teachings. And they would eat a meal together every Lord's Day. And this meal came to be known as the love feast. And so as the church observed the corporate supper, it was to be a time of, of close fellowship. Just like next Lord's Day, when we come together for our fellowship meal, it is to be a time of close fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And the central part of this feast was when the bread would be broken and a cup passed around in observance of the Lord's Supper. It should have been a time of great unity and holiness. Paul says in verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. But Paul is saying, it is not what I left with you. Now, next Sunday evening, Lord willing, we will get those instructions that Paul received from the Lord that he gave to the church at Corinth. Right now he is saying, this is not what I left you. This is not what I instructed you to do concerning the supper. This is not what Jesus instructed you to do concerning the supper. And he goes on, he shows and reveals to them the problem in verse 21. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Instead of coming together in an orderly manner to to worship God, to fellowship together, the Corinthians had turned the meeting of the church, the worship of God in the church, into disorder. One member would begin to eat before the others. And then you may have a wealthy member who would come in and he would have his servants lay out for him his, his full meal before him. And then a poor member of the church would come in with nothing and would sit in the corner and would watch everyone else while he went hungry. And then there was another who was drinking all the wine, getting drunk off of it. I believe this is one one place we see that it was wine intended for the Lord's Supper, not grape juice. What should have been a manifestation of unity was a time of division. 
In verse 22, Paul says, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul gives a, 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 a series of rhetorical questions that hammers at the evil of the practice that was going on. He says, home is the place to satisfy your hunger and thirst. What you're doing during the Lord's Supper is not to be done. To believe like the Corinthians, he says, is to despise the church, which is no less than the church of God. Because they were despising the poor. Instead of coming together, they were tearing one another apart. And so what application can we make here tonight? Well, first of all, in the church, there is to be no favoritism shown, no partiality shown. Turn over to, to James chapter 2 and we see and hear James telling us this quite plainly. Beginning at verse 1, James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over here. Or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves. And become judges with evil thoughts. Listen my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich. In faith and heirs of the kingdom. Which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now again, we see this when we hear what the Lord said to Samuel this morning concerning the sons of David. Samuel, do not judge by outer appearances. We get in trouble when we do that. And that's what James is getting at. Because when a rich man, a powerful man comes in, we judge him by the way he looks or what we know about him and we'll give him the best seat. But when the poor man comes in and maybe he doesn't smell like us or look like us, we might say, well, why don't you just stay in the back? James says that is not the way it should be in the church. Those who are powerful, those who are rich, they are the ones who oppress the people of God. They are the ones who blaspheme the name of Christ, James says. The name by which we are called. Second, let us not cause disorder and division in the church of Christ. The, the disorder and division that Paul speaks of causes us to move away from God. We are the, the body of Christ. We are the household and family of God. We are called to promote the peace and purity of the church. Every one of us, when we joined the church, we took a vow, did we not? To uphold the peace and purity of the church. Now what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to uphold the peace of the church? It means that we are not going to be at odds 
with our brothers and sisters. And if we are, we're going to do what Matthew 18 tells us to do. Now, what does Matthew 18 tell, tell us to do? Well, if you know that your brother has sinned against you, you go to that brother. And you confront that brother. And if he listens good, you have won your brother. But if he will not listen, you then take one or two with you and you establish it before witnesses. If he listens good, you have won your brother. But if he will not listen, then you take it to the elders. You take it to the church. Now what do we want to do? We want to take it directly to the elders. So and so did this to me. And you know, that applies to the elders as well. If you believe they have wronged you, you go to him first. You don't bring it straight to the session. You go to that elder or you go to that church officer and you say, look, I believe you have sinned against me. And you reconcile with your brother. Elsewhere, we are told by Jesus, if, if, if you know your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and you go and you be reconciled to your brother. Then you come back and bring your gift. That's how we keep the peace of the church. We listen to what Jesus says and we practice it. But then also the purity of the church. We, we took a vow to keep the church as pure, pure as we can in this fallen world. What does that mean? It means that we do not allow those who would seek to disrupt the, the purity of the church by coming and teaching false doctrine. It means that those of us who are elders and who are responsible for teaching, we don't teach false doctrine. We teach the Bible. We teach our confessional standards. And let me just say, if we hold to our confessional standards, we are holding to, to biblical doctrine. Again, that's one of the weaknesses in other Reformed denominations. They allow men to take all types of exceptions to the confessional standards. Yes, we know that's not Scripture, but yet it's a document that has stood the test of time. Everything we find in the Westminster Standards, we find proof for in the Bible. And so we are to promote the purity and peace of the church. Third, is there ever a time for division? Well, we better hope so, or unless, if not, then we are in sin. Yes, there's time. There are times when church, a church will divide. There are times when denominations divide. And these divisions are not always evil. Many, of to, uh, many times they are needed. And it's not a bad thing. When divisions happen, it is over the, the doctrine and holiness of the church. Now, we don't divide over every little thing that bothers us. There will be times, there will always be things that bother us in the church. We, we will say, well, that's not done exactly right. We don't divide over, over every little thing. But division should only come when the honor of Christ and the purity of the church is at stake. And so I believe we had that. And, and we, we, we are in the right to have divided and joined with a new work. Fourth, when we come together for worship, 
Are we worshiping the Lord and Him alone? That's the chief purpose that we have to do today. All the days to be spent in both the public and private exercises of worship. That is the business of the Lord's Day. That is the business of the Christian Sabbath. But you see, we can come and we can be present, but we can be worshiping someone or something else while we're here present in the worship of God. We're to have no other gods. We're to have no other idols. We're to worship the one true God and Him alone. When we come together for worship, are we edifying the body? Again, how do we do that? Are you singing? There's one way we edify the body. We sing. And nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to sing well. Sing. Edify your brothers and sisters in the Lord by singing the praises of your God, by singing good biblical hymns and the Psalter that we have uh, in this church and, and please God and edify one another. And when we come together for worship, are we manifesting love and hope? Do we love one another? Now we know as a family, there's sometimes we might not love one another as often or as good as we should. That happens in families, right? Again, if we are striving to keep the peace of the church, if we are practicing Matthew 18 as we ought, then, then that will bring us back together quickly. The divisions will be healed quickly through the forgiveness of Christ. And as we forgive one another and we'll have love for one another and we are to love God and love one another. Are we manifesting the hope that we have in Christ? What is that hope? That Jesus is coming again. And when He comes in glory, He takes us to our eternal home and we worship Him forever as we work for Him and do service for our King. That is the hope we have. That is the hope that we are to be giving to others. And then finally, the church gathering for worship. It is not about us. It is about Christ. So many leave churches because they, they don't like what's going on in worship. They'll say things like this. Worship is boring. Really? Meeting with your creator, the God of this universe, the one true God is, is boring? You see, worship is not about us. It is about God. We come to worship Him. It is about Christ. He is the head and king of the church. And so when we come together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, it's not about what we like or don't like. It is about Christ. It is about God the Father. It is about God the Holy Spirit and seeking to please Him. Not us. And so ultimately, how do we please God? Well, by believing in His Son. By being a genuine believer in Christ. Being recognized by God as one of His children. And again, how does that happen? Well, repentance and faith. You hear me say that every Lord's Day morning and evening because that is what is required. Have you turned from your sin? Have you come to trust in Jesus? If not, do so tonight because it's not about you. It is about Christ. As fallen man, that's probably the hardest thing for us to realize, right? 
that the lives that we are living, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about God. The chief end of man is to do what? Not glorify self, but to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the only way we can do that is by believing and trusting in Christ. May God give us the grace we need to do just that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for Your Word. and Thank You, Father, that we can be reminded of how there needs to be peace and purity in Your church. And Father, I pray that we would practice that which You have set out for us in Your Word, that when we have something against another brother or sister, we would go to them first. That we would listen to what You say to us. That we would promote the peace and purity of the church. Father, if there are any here tonight that are lost, that are still in their sins, I pray that You would awaken them Give them a new heart. Give them a heart of belief and call them to your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.